The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send this angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his, under the thigh of Abraham his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. When the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed to your servant Isaac. But this, by this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to, the, born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahar, Abraham's brother came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Their servant ran, ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels, also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar in the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. 
Is there room in your house? Wait. In your house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who, whom she bore to Nahar. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Thank you, Annie. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful passage of scripture that outlines your faithfulness, Lord. And I just pray that you would open our hearts this morning and that we'd be open to what you have to say to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great job, Simona. All right. Well, good morning. Um, you know, that's really meaningful to see Janie and Simona up here um, because they, they were the first family in San Diego that said they wanted to be a part of a church plant called Grace City. And so it's really amazing to see um, just the faith that's growing not only within um, the adults but the kids and that they are growing up as a generation that we pray will uh, continue to follow Jesus and continue to grow in their relationship with Christ. And so I'm glad you're here this morning. Welcome, uh, mothers. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we are so happy that you're here this morning. And um, right now, um, you know, there's some great things happening. As, as we talked about in June, we're going to be going down to one service. And so it's going to be the 1030 service. And um, it'll be good, you know, as we go in through the summer. Um, there are a lot of new things. But also, uh, we have an intern that's here with us um, for the summer in the kids' ministry specifically. So her name's Hannah. And so give it up for Hannah. She's come all the way from... Georgia, and so she's going to be with us this summer um, as our intern with the kids' ministry, and so we are so happy that she's here with us. Um, now, if you're just joining us, we've been in this series called The Gospel in Genesis, and, and the, the gospel simply means good news, right? As we read the Bible, where do we see the good news, the thread, right? If we talked about um, the Bible just by itself, without Jesus, some theologians have said, There's, it's, it's dark. It's a dark book. But there's threads uh, throughout the scriptures where we see God is working, where we see Jesus is there. And so as we've been going through the book of Genesis, from the very beginning, we've been talking about how God had created all things. And then we looked at Adam and Eve, and then we looked at Noah, and, and then we looked at the life of Abraham. And now we're transitioning because the life of Abraham is about to end soon, but we're transitioning into his son, Isaac. And so we're going to be looking at this transition and what happens in the midst of it. And so you got your Bibles today. We're going to be looking at Genesis uh, 24. And this is a long passage of Scripture. And so Simona did amazing reading the 28 passages right there, the uh, verses of Scripture, right? And so, but it, it's not only 28. It, it goes all the way down to 67. So there's a lot in here. Um, and so we're going to do a, an overview of, of this chapter. 
But here's what the message is this morning. It's trusting God in the details. Trusting God in the details. Now, in 2001, there's a movie that came out called Serendipity. Uh, I remember during that time, me and my wife had just started dating. Um, and so we were college uh, sweethearts, right? We, we, we've known each other from that point on, but we just started dating at that point. And one of those date nights, we went out to this movie uh, to, to watch Serendipity. And let me give you a description of the movie. On a magical night, when they're in their 20s, Jonathan, played by John Cusack, meets Sarah, Kate uh, Beckinsale. He finds it love at first sight. But Sarah believes in destiny. After 10 years, the two, with 3,000 miles between them, must decide if fate wants them to be together again. When love feels like magic, it is called destiny. When destiny has a sense of humor, it is serendipity. Ooh. Doesn't that just pull you in? You're like, man, I want to go watch this after today's message. Well, 59% of people on Rotten Tomatoes said, it's good. 87% of Google users liked it. I remember finishing the movie and looking over at uh, Laura and saying, what did you think of the movie? She said, it was, it was good. I really liked it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's about all of these serendipitous things that happen that leads to this love. But I remember looking back and just thinking in my mind, you like that? That was terrible. That, that was so unrealistic. Like how he went into the bookstore, and then she writes her name, and then he finds the book, and all of these things. And so all of the, these things come together so that they're in love? Serendipity? No. See, we must ask is this how life is? Is this how it works? Because as you read today's scripture, you would say that, that, that kind of fits. That kind of works out like that. See, is life just a, a random mix of circumstances that fall into place? Because it's destiny, serendipity. Is it just luck? Or is there something more? Is there something more? Philosopher, sociologist Charles Taylor says this. He says, don't you feel it? Don't you have those moments of either foreboding or on the cusp of elation where you can't shake the sense that there must be something more? See, this is a person who, who studied our culture and says, right now we're in this place where we don't believe in God. In every way, we want to cut God out of the equation. And so that's the way that the society has gone. But he said there's something in us that's like this. He says it's the haunted eminence that we just can't shake it, that there must be something more to this world. And that maybe God really is there. See, there are a few ways that we can look at life. You can come in here today and believe that it's just chaotic. It's chaotic. And so there really is no God and what, he, what, he, what uh, Taylor calls it is a disenchanted world that we live in. And so it's a very pessimistic view of this world. Another one is this idea that it's self-created. 
that I can create the future, that I can create my life, that I can form what I want this life to look like. I decide my future. And for many of us within our culture, we believe that. But what happens is it, it starts to get rattled when we have those moments where things aren't falling into place, when life gets messy. And so it really rocks our point of view with that. But the Bible today, and, and what we see in Genesis 24, is that it tells us that God does have a plan. That God has this plan beyond what we can see. And that it's much higher and bigger than what we can grasp. Psalm 139 verse 16 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That God could know every day of my life. That God could know me before I existed. This is the picture that we see of God throughout the scripture. You know, and there are certain viewpoints where people will say, well, does that mean that God just decides every little detail in my life? And so we get to this point where we say, okay, is the Bible talking about determinism? Determinism, that, that no matter what, it's like God's determinate, so you have no choice at all. So some people take that position, right? It's determinism. Others will say, well, it's, when we talk about God, it's, it's that God's up there, but it's really me making these choices, and so... God's kind of responding to my choices and what that's called is open theism. So it's just like God is just like kind of responding off of what I choose. But what we see is that none of these, like the determinism side, because God holds us accountable for our choices, or this side where we think that it's all about my choices and that's all I've got, don't fit in within Scripture. What we see is that it's not completely on my shoulders. That God has the sovereign choice that's above me. Yet I have these choices in the midst of it. And you're like, how does that work out? How does the Trinity work out? Three and one? <laughs> it's a mystery. But what we know is this. That God's plan works out exactly the way he wants it to work out every single time. That, that, that God's plan always accomplishes what he desires. And so we have choices. And what we see today is that Abraham makes these choices to be obedient to God and to trust God in the midst of the uncertainty of his future. And so our text today is Genesis 24. And on this text, commentator Walter Brueggemann says this. He says, a theme in this is the hidden, inscrutable guidance of God. The mention of the angel is most peculiar and, and nothing is made of it in the narrative. Likely it's put, it puts the reader on notice that this seemingly natural sequence of affairs consists in more than meets the eye. God is at work here. Only the discerning believer discerns the angel. Others will regard this remarkable event as good luck. See, God is at work all throughout this text. And so here's the setting. In, in Genesis 23, we see that Abraham's wife, Sarah, dies. 
Isaac's mother is gone. And, and, and I want you to, to, to really settle on this because we can kind of skip over that part. But the thing is about people within the scriptures is that there were real people. Real people. Real people going through real struggles. And so we see that Abraham and, and, and Isaac understand what it means to grieve. Because I know that even on Mother's Day, there are feelings and emotions that come up. Some could be good, but some could be very difficult and bring up grief. And I want you to know that Abraham and Isaac could relate. They can relate. And so they're going through this difficult time. And and as they're grieving the loss of Sarah, Abraham is about to die soon. And so these are the last words that we've captured in Scripture from Abraham. This is his deathbed scene. And what we'll see is that Abraham's faith in God in this text is stronger than it's ever been. Because as we've been studying the life of Abraham, what we've seen is that he has stumbled in his faith. He's struggled with his faith. He's questioned God in the midst of his faith. But we see today that at the end of his life, it's stronger than it's ever been. And so what can we learn about faith and trusting God with the details of life? Well, we see three ways in today's text. And so I'm going to break it down from the scriptures. And so I'm going to give you all three up front. The first one is this, a last request, a greater master, a new chapter. A last request, a greater master, and a new chapter. And so the first point comes from verses 1 through 9, a last request. And so here's what we see. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the chief servant of his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you, you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there. Abraham said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying, to your offspring, I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you and you'll be released from this oath of mine, only do not take my son back there. Verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of the master of Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. And so what we see is an ancient way of making a covenant together. We see the servant and Abraham making a promise. And so the servant is binding himself to the words of Abraham saying, I will follow this exactly what you say. And so what is it that we see in Abraham's life as he makes his final request? Well, verse 1 tells us that Abraham's life was 
in every way defined by God. He was in every way defined by God. Everything that he had was from God. Right? It says the Lord blessed him in every way. Up to this point, he's lived a full life. He hasn't lived an easy life. But he knew at this point in his life, as people looked upon it, said, this is a man of God. This is someone who has trusted the Lord. And then everything that's come is because of God and not him. And now his life was coming to an end. See, what is the most important thing in your life? What we find is that as we get to the end of our life, that starts to bubble to the surface. And so what's starting to happen in Abraham's life is what is very important, what is most important in his life is starting to bubble to the surface in his last days. And it happens in his request, his last request to his servant. Here's what he believed was the most important. He says, the most important is for my son to have a wife that will love God. It's to have a wife that will be like his mother. See, what's the catch? How's this going to happen? How's this going to all work out? It wasn't going to happen on Isaac's strength or wisdom. See, do you see, do you see what it says in verse 8? It says, do not take my son back there. Right? Like, this is for Isaac. This is Isaac's future wife. But Abraham says, I don't want you to take him there. Why? Because in every way, he wanted this to be something that God did. This is about trusting God. See, this isn't about like, okay, Isaac, what do you see in a woman that you really want? Right? Like, what, what, what's, what's your type? Okay? This isn't like jump on Tinder and start doing all that stuff. Right? It's like, okay, God, I want to trust you in this. And so he's making this oath with his servant, possibly without Isaac even knowing. Without Isaac even knowing. And so this is about trusting God. Verse 7 says, He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Now why is this so important? Because he knows how quickly a generation can fall away from the Lord. It happened in his family, right? As, as, remember back to Genesis chapter 11 and what it says? It says that at the point where we find Abraham, that his family had drifted so far from God that they were worshiping other gods, that they didn't know the real God anymore, that it was such a desperate situation that God had to intervene in their lives, okay? And so... Abraham knows how quickly a generation can fall away from the Lord. D.A. Carson makes this point. He says it only takes three generations to completely fall away from God. He says one generation believes the gospel. They believe in Christ. But then he says the next generation assumes the gospel. 
And by the third generation, he says, the third generation denies the gospel. It's repetition. This is what happens throughout history, and we see it working out. And so Abraham, in his last request, is this, that the next generation would continue to follow God. That the next generation would continue to know God. That was the most important thing for him. And that was what his last request was built upon. Second, we see a greater master. Look at verses 12 through 15 and then 23 through 28. It says this. This is the prayer. He says, then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and, he, and she says, drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Verse 15, before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. Then verse 23, then he uh, asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your, your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered, and I am the daughter of Bethuel, uh, the son of Milcah, bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as, uh, uh, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about all these things. Um, So what's happening here? Well, as the servant is entering into the city, his first response is, I can't do this. Do you know what prayer is? It's a sign that we don't rely on ourselves. what what keeps us from prayer? I've heard it's not busyness, it's self-reliance. And so in this moment, as he gets to this place of saying, okay, this to me feels like an impossible task to find the right one for Isaac. I can't do this. And so what we see in verses 12 through 14 is this prayer. It's, he says, then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. He is at the end of himself. He can't figure out the solution that will give success to his mission. And so he comes to God and says, God, um, I'm going to pray something, and it's going to be a little crazy, okay? So there's a bunch of ladies coming out right now with jars, but I need to talk to the one, and here's what I'm going to say, and then here's what I need her to say, and then it's just going to work out that she is the chosen one. You're like, that's a crazy prayer. Like, how's that going to happen? And then you realize, you're like, I pray those type of prayers too. I pray those type of prayers too, where I'm just like, I am so confused about life right now. I don't know what to do. And so I'm just going to put this out there. We call it like putting out our fleece, right? Just put out the fleece. Like, Lord, you're going to tell me what, what to do here? And so we see that this servant, in his limited 
understanding of God because really it's like it's not like this theological like yeah this is this really matches up here with God and his character and all these types of things not a great prayer but we see that God meets him in his inadequacy in his stumbling over these words and saying this is my only hope and he answers it he answers it You see, this helps us to understand that this can't be on our strength to do this. Commentator Gordon Wenham says this. He says, uh, here God is not actually on stage, but the servant prays to him at the beginning and the end of the meeting with Rebecca. And the whole action and dialogue in verses 15 through 25 are such a palpable answer to the servant's prayer that we feel God is just behind the curtain pushing Rebecca on stage right on cue. What we need to understand is this isn't just a story. This is what happened. And that God is in the midst of these details. He's in the midst of all of it. Because as readers, we can read this and say, oh yeah, God's there. But they didn't know that. They were just living life. (laughs) They were just living life. And we see that God is working this out all behind the scenes. Verses 26 and 27 ends with this prayer. He says, Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. Here's what we're finding here in this second point of a greater master. It's this. That as God is working all of these things out, that the servant is realizing that there is a greater master that's involved. And so I'm sure it must have been surprising for Rebecca as she just says, yeah, I'll give him some water. I'll go take some water over to the camp. Like, I will respond to what you just asked me to do. And then he just falls down and starts worshiping God. Must have been a little surprising. Must have thrown her off a little bit. But here's the thing. We don't don't know if this servant worshipped God before this. Because he says he's the God of my master, Abraham. But as he's experiencing God like this in a personal way, where he's seeing it firsthand, he's saying, there's a, there's, there's a Lord that's above my master. He's experiencing it. And so he prays, and he thanks God. And he says he hasn't abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. I just want to give a quick side note. You know, um, it's easy to think that this is just how it's going to always work out, right? That, that, that's not the case. Uh, John Walton gives a good side note. He says in Genesis 24, even though the servant dictated what circumstances he wanted to occur, Rebecca, Laban, and the extended family are all persuaded by circumstances that God has indeed communicated Rather than forcing God's hand, we need to learn to see his fingerprints on our lives. 
sometimes what we think is that, okay, if I pray this, this prayer is going to change whatever circumstance that I'm currently in. Right? And so in, in many ways, we start, start to think to ourselves, it's not about God's will be done, but it's my will be done. And so God has to dictate to my prayers. That's not how it works. But it's always like the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. It's this. It's, Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done. But the beauty of all of this is that he meets us in those places where we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know how to pray. Last point, a new chapter. Look at verses 62 through 67. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahoy Roy, uh, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So he took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What's happening here? I mean, th- th- this section, this last portion, I mean, it, it, it reads in many ways like we want every script in every romantic movie to end, doesn't it? It's like she sees him off in the distance. Who is that man out there? Oh, that's going to be your husband. Okay, cool. Like, yeah, it all works out perfectly. But what we need to understand is that there's a lot happening here, right? It's not just this romantic end to a story, but this is a new chapter in the life of Isaac and Rebekah. And as we see this narrative play out, we see God is purposely comforting Isaac in his grief. He's bringing Rebekah at the perfect time. As one chapter ended in his life, as his mother passes away, he is starting a new chapter in his life. You see it in the last verse? It was all orchestrated by God. It says this. So where does he take her? Into the tent of his mother, Sarah. And lastly, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Comforted after his mother's death. Right? That God, is, like he could have provided Rebecca earlier, but it is at this time where God brings her into his life. See, all of this is to point that God is over all things. That God is at work in the midst of those moments where you feel like he might even be distant. See, what, what is it? It says that Isaac was going out to go meditate. He's grieving still. He's going out. He's thinking. He's, he's probably praying. God, help me. And in that moment, God provides Rebecca. Thinking on friendship, but I think this is applicable. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years 
difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at the first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste and finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. Could you imagine that God, in the midst of the chapters and seasons of your life, could bring people to bring comfort in the midst of hurt, pain, grief, healing? Right, God is writing a story, a new chapter in Isaac and Rebecca's life, and we're going to be looking at that as we continue in Genesis, but it's for a bigger purpose than what they could see. It's something beyond what they could see in this new chapter for both of them. So quickly, some takeaways. I'm going to go deep real fast. Here's where it's at. What would your final request be? What would your final request be? Right, the Bible tells us to think on death. But we live in a culture that it just, it's, we don't want to think about it. But if I had one last request, what, what would it be? Because those things start to bubble to the top when you start to ask those type of questions. If you're a parent today, let me ask this. What hopes and dreams do you have for your kids? What hopes and dreams do you have for your kids? And let me ask, are they in alignment with God's will and God's plan for their lives? Because as we see in the life of Abraham, his prayer was to be in alignment with what God wanted for Isaac's life. He's putting it all in God's hands, saying, okay, God, I trust you with this. You know, there are times where I talk with parents who are struggling because their, their kids are not following God. They say, man, I, I, I struggle so much, and, and the only thing I can do is pray. And I said, well, that's really the best thing you can do. That's the best thing you can do. Right, because what I've learned as a parent is I can't change my kid's heart. I can't change their lives. I can help them. I can guide them. I can hopefully point them in the right direction. But I can't make choices for them. And so my prayer is God change their lives. My final request is that we will leave behind a generation that loves God. And so what is that final request for you? And as you live your life, whether you're single, whether you're whatever season you're in, whether you're a, a couple or, or engaged or whatever season it may be, I challenge you to talk through some of those things. Because those are some of the most important things of what we leave behind. And will our prayers and what we are asking be in alignment with what God wants? The next question is this. Do you believe that God hears simple prayers and answers them with his best? With his best. Here's the thing. 
I don't know what the best is. See, there are times where I think, okay, I know what's best for my life. I know what's best for me. I know what's best for my family. I know what's best. But here's the truth. I don't. And you don't. If we're honest, we would say, I don't know what's best. But the thing that I do know is best is that God is with me. And that God hears prayers. And that God hears simple prayers. Prayers that don't really make sense sometimes, right? Maybe it's prayers just through your tears. But God hears it. And he meets us there. Not because we've got it all right in our minds, but because he's a God of grace and love and kindness. And so he'll meet us in that place. And he'll transform our prayers. And he'll transform our hearts. But many times we don't know what's best. But we've got to place it in his hands. Timothy Keller wrote this in his book on prayer. He says, our time frames are not in touch with ultimate reality. Our perspective on timing compared with God's is analogous uh, to a two-year-old with an adult's. God has good reasons for making us wait a long time to see some prayers answered. And as we see Isaac going out for prayer, meditating, it was that God brought Rebecca at the perfect time. Again, I don't know the best time frame for my life. And so I need to hand over the details to God and know that he knows best. Last question, do you believe that God has a bigger plan, even when it's hard to see? See, faith is not about trusting in clear circumstances, but it's about trusting in a faithful God. Circumstances can be confusing, but God is always consistent. We see that play out in this text today. What, what we know is not what the people, uh, or what we know is not what the people knew in this story, like I talked about earlier. Right? They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know how it was going to play out. We say, oh, it played out perfectly. They didn't know that. But we see that Abraham was unwavering in his faith. And so are you willing to trust God as he lays out your life? This week, I got to meet with a, a really sweet lady. Her name's Catherine. Um, she helped write a book with Timothy Keller called um, Every Good Endeavor. And in that book, she talks about just how, to, how our faith meets our work. It's really an incredible book. But she told me, you know, we were going around. It was our staff team, and we were sitting with her for dinner. And we were going around talking about our life story, how we came to faith, all those things. And she talked about how she came to faith, and she shared her story. She says, you know, I was in my 30s, my late 30s, single. She was high up as a CEO in multiple corporations. She said she started coming to church, and she started listening to the messages. She said she would get so mad, she would stomp out mad after listening to the, the messages. But she said, I just kept coming back. And then she said, I became a Christian. God saved me. And her life, she, she got to a place where she was, she started this faith and work ministry. She was doing all these great things. And then she got into her 50s. And she said she settled in her mind, I'd be single the rest of my life. I was okay with that. But she said God had other plans. And this guy who had just been widowed, she went out on a date with him. Friends got him together. 
And she said, um, on the first day, he's like, I know I want to marry you. And she's like, no way. <laughs> and she said, um, as we were eating dinner, she said, I've been married for nine years now. And it's been amazing what God has done with my life. But I never expected it. See, it's, it's just walking in faith, like one step at a time. It's not like I've got all these things figured out in my head of how it's going to work out, but that God lays out the details. And she said, I just kept trusting God that we would keep stepping in faith. And so how is your life right now? And, and, and how is it that God could be that gracious to us? Are you trusting him with the details? Well, you know, in John 2, 1 through 5, there's this wedding feast in Cana. And here's what it says. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Nice little Mother's Day text right there. But you got to ask, you're like, okay, why does Jesus get so upset? Right, because he ends up doing the miracle. But why, why is Jesus so adamant about this? Well, what we see is that as there's a wedding in our text today and as we think about love and relationships and all those things that happen and, and does all these things fall into place, we know this. I don't know what your life looks like, but I know this. It's that Jesus was so adamant about this because he's at this wedding and he knew that the most important detail to your life was not fixed. The, the most important detail to my life was not fixed. And it was this, that I have sin and that that was separating me from the great wedding of God and his bride, the church. And that as Jesus was looking and, and thinking about that day, because that, that, that has to be what he's thinking about. Look at what he says. He's, my hour has not yet come. Through the book of John, all of the, the hour, you know what that is? Jesus' death. Jesus' death. And he got so emotional about that, that very detail that wasn't taken care of. that 2,000 years ago he would be the servant that would be sent out, that would pay the price. Do you know the servant of Abraham pays a price to the family? And that he would be the one who would make a way to make sure that the bride got to the groom. And he did that because he went to the cross to make us clean, to make us radiant, you feel like, oh man, my life isn't put together. I don't have what it takes. It's that Jesus died on the cross to make us a radiant bride. To make us clean from all of our sins. So that one day, there would be the wedding. The ultimate wedding. Where we'd be together with God forever. It's the greatest detail and when you know that that's taken care of, when he can take care of that detail of all my sin, 
you better believe that he can take care of the little details in my life. And he can put them together exactly where they need to be. Will you trust him on that today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that it was you who paid the ultimate price. And as we place our lives in your hands, that you'll work out the details. Good, bad, it says there's a promise in Romans 8, 28 that you are working all things together for good for those who love you. And so, Father, help us to understand what that means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.